You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Hope you all are doing well this morning. My name is Brad Marvin, and as Kevin said, I am the resident church planter here right now. We were introduced, my family and I, a couple Sundays ago, um, and just wanted to tell you guys, first of all, how grateful we are to be here. We are so grateful that there is a church planting residency um, here, and I've just seen countless stories where guys plant churches, families plant churches, and it ends up in a mess, and there's a lot of bloodshed, and so having a place where I can grow and mature and be trained a little bit has just been already, one month into it, has been a huge answer to prayer. Um, I feel like, man, they, I'm not going to lie, they get up in your grill during the assessment, uh, it's like a, a cavity search of the soul, if you will, and um, just blind spots and, and feeling in, in a good way exposed by brothers in Christ around me, and they're, they're pressing on things already in me and saying, Brad, you know, like that's, that's not a real healthy thing right there. That's a, I'd encourage you to this, and just the way that they're doing it has been, has been awesome. So I'm, I'm very grateful to be here. I'm very excited to be a part of it. Thank you guys for um, having a church with a with a residency program. So, um, and as you know, Rodney's not here today. He is doing a collegiate type uh, conference that he's speaking at. Uh, I saw him on his way out, and he literally had a stack of sermon notes this thick. And I said, "Dude, that's going to be like either the world's longest sermon, or you're doing a number of sermons." He said he's doing six of them. So, uh, just in two days. So, if you think about him, be praying for him because I know. Uh, that's just a lot of work put in, and, um, and I know the Lord's going to use them, but keep him in your prayers. Um, I don't know if it means that he, that he trusts me, uh, that he has me preach and he leaves, or if he's just terrified of what I'm about to say and he doesn't want to deal with the aftermath. So either way, I'm, I'm here, I'm preaching, and, and he asked me to preach a little bit on adoption. Um, so I'm going to take a text out of Galatians. You can actually go ahead and turn there if you want. Galatians 4 is where we're going to camp down. But uh, just a background story on our adoption, we adopted a little boy from Uganda to, I'm sorry, we started the adoption two years ago. He's been with us for about 10 months, and um, he has come into our family of, uh, we had four, or actually got pregnant the day that we adopted him, um, and so now we're at five. It's a, it's a small, full house right now, uh, very loud, but the, overall, the adoption process has just gone has gone really well. Um, it's, it, it's been a pretty grueling process. At one point they said, you know, that, that there's really not much of a chance that he'll ever be able to come home. And, um, and so we just kept praying, and, and the saints were praying with us, and, and God parted the sea, and, and, he's, and he's here with us now. So um, jumped right in. So just an encouragement to those that might be in the process of fostering or adopting that, that you just see crazy things happen. The Lord is for adoption, and um, he just finds a way to make it happen. So... Um, that's what's that's what's happened with us. Uh, I don't think that we could do it. I don't think we would have lasted through it had we not had the idea and the theological framework that God has adopted us into his own family. Um, and there's a, a cross in that whole process. There was a crucifixion. There was a death. And so all the pain that we walked through, we thought, man, this doesn't even come close to comparing to what Christ suffered in order to bring us into his family. And then also just... Being able to, to celebrate and, and, and know that this is, this is a joyful thing because this is what the Lord's done in us. And, and there's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for um, even thinking that we're, we're better. And, and 
all I feel toward him, when I look at the gospel, all I feel toward my son is you're part of this family. Because not based on anything you've done, yet you're totally different skin color. I'm still learning who you are, but you are received into our home because the Lord has received me into his home and I'm so different than him. He's so righteous and I'm so unrighteous. And so um, it's just been a, it's been a great process. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that more in depth. We're going to go Galatians 4, 4. Um, and I'm going to say a prayer real quick. I know that Kevin prayed, but I just need to double up on prayers when I pray because I need Jesus a lot. Father, we love you, Lord. And um, I just confess right now that I've got weird little insecurities and <laughs> I've been preaching a lot lately and, and just been feeling a little bit of that. Um, and so I just ask that you would um, just remind me of where my identity is placed and that it's in you, God, that I would be faithful to this text and, and handling your perfect word, an imperfect man. Um, and I just pray for the hearts that are here to be able to receive uh, your word well, Lord, and, and to be able to receive it with gratitude and humility. Um, and Lord, even, even myself as I'm preaching, God, I just pray that this would be a message that wouldn't come from me, but it would come through me because it has um, been hitting on my own heart and changing me as well. And so we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son and making us your children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians 4, a little background. Um, theologians would agree that this is, of the 13 books, 13 letters that Paul wrote in the Bible, this is the most critical, this is the most corrective. Paul kind of comes out swinging a little bit, but I would call it a slap of love because he is speaking to the church here. Uh, he is just kind of fed up with them doing something to this beautiful, pure message of the gospel that he's literally has scars on his body for proclaiming, and they're coming in there and they're adding things to it. So where the Christian church would say, grace plus faith in Jesus alone brings us to salvation or brings us into God's family, where um, you have a certain religious sect and false leaders that are saying, we believe that. Grace through faith in Jesus, yes, but we're also going to say plus circumcision, which is a part of the old covenant, right, law that says unless you're circumcised, you are not part of this family of God. And so they are kind of creeping that into a very pure and wonderful message. The gospel brings unity. And I'm going to say this, and, and some of you might not agree with me, but the gospel on a, on a long scale long-lasting, it is the only thing that will bring unity to races, to different um, socioeconomic levels, the poor, the rich, the slaves, and the uh, free. It brings unity to um, genders. I'm not talking about sameness. I'm talking about equality to genders. Um, and it will, it will bring them together in a way to where it lasts for eternity. There's nothing else that does that. So the irony in all of this is these religious leaders are trying to bring together um, these two different religions and sort of smashing them together and, and for the sake of unity. They're trying to avoid persecution from the Jews by adding in circumcision. And they're trying to label themselves as the first century church of Jesus. And the problem is that never works. And all it's done is brought a disunity and it's brought strife into the church in Galatia. So Paul comes out swinging. 
He's not having any of it. He says, basically, what you have done is you have not just offended me because of the message that I carry, but you have offended the very Savior that's died for you. It says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, circumcision, then Christ died for no purpose. Those are pretty harsh words. Let every man be accursed that would believe something different other than the pure gospel of Jesus plus nothing. And then the most awkward thing that he says is when he tells them, he refers to those that are the false leaders as those who unsettle you. And he says, I wish that those who unsettle you in the process of their circumcision would go a little too far and emasculate themselves. I've yet to see that one hanging on a canvas in Mardell. Um, And it's not on the top 10 memory verses for my kids right now, but it is, I think, awesome. Anyway, um, so what you have is you have the good news of the gospel being polluted by works, by law, which now it's no longer good news. You're under slavery. And they're thinking that, yes, we begun with Christ and now we finish on our own, like Paul says. And I was just thinking through that this week, thinking, man, do we not do that? Like, do we not believe the gospel up into a certain level? And then it's like, God, I got it from here. I think anytime we find a little pride or self-righteousness in our own hearts and we think, man, I think God is, like, he saved a lot of people, but I think he's probably pretty, pretty jacked that he saved me. I think he's pretty excited. I, I think if we're really honest with ourselves at times, we think that when certain things happen. I am in the most transparent home group, and I just, like, was so transparent. And I think the Lord, like, I, I, you know, there's a difference between God being proud of you and God saving you for that purpose. And so I'm talking about the saving piece. I think the Lord's pretty blessed to have me a part of his family, you know, that I get to lead the way in this. I, I go to a really gospel-centered church, and that guy doesn't. And, you know, I, I just think the Lord's, he, he's kind of scored big on this one, you know, with me. Uh, of course, those things never come out of your mouth. You know, I've never been on antidepressants. I've never had to, had to deal with that. You know, I, I feel for those people that have. And, but, I mean, the Lord's, I'm just kind of a low-maintenance guy for the Lord. I think he's probably really happy that he, he saved me, you know? I, my family's put together. There's, like, pretty good moral structure going on in my home right now. I don't have any kids that are wayward. Or... Maybe if you're a little bit younger, which I see this more often, there's kind of this excitement on the other side of like, man, I'm just able to enjoy the liberties and the freedom that Christ has given me. Like, I drink to the glory of God, and it's awesome. And he, he doesn't. So, you know, I don't know if he's really tasted that. And I, I just think the Lord's probably extra happy with saving me. And, I, and, and honestly, I think we think at times that has something to do with who we are and the righteousness that we possess. Does that make sense? And so what Paul is saying is, don't buy into it. It's a lie. And he has harsh words to say for the leaders that are leading them astray. But what we see here is at one point in this letter, up at 4-4, it's like he turns to the church at Galatia, and he, instead of slapping them around, what he does is he reminds them of the best news that they could possibly hear. He reminds them, of their adoption. 
he reminds them that they have been saved. And so um, I'm going to just go through that. We're going to go Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has, spent, uh, has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay. So what Paul is talking about is adoption. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about adoption. He says um, that it is... Our adoption is the highest expression of even God's love. Sinclair Ferguson, one of my seminary professors, theologians, says, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, lies at the heart of all Christian theology and is the mainspring of all Christian living. J.I. Packer says this of adoption, it is the highest privilege the gospel has to offer. So today I'm going to talk about kind of three aspects of adoption. I'm going to talk about the facts of adoption, the feelings of adoption, and the fruit from adoption. So starting with facts of adoption, um, Paul takes the first part of this passage in verse 4 and 5, and he reminds them, when I say the facts of adoption, I want you to think legal. Like, this has legally happened. This is official. This is objective. For Five, uh, He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So he starts off there, letting them know that they have been saved. Okay? They've been saved. If I were to ask most of you guys in the room, what is the gospel exactly? I think that you guys would, and I'm just guessing, but I'm thinking you guys would probably give a pretty accurate answer. And it would sound something like, Jesus came and took our place on the cross. He saved us from our sins. As this passage says, Jesus was born under the law. He kept the law perfectly, never sinned. He absorbed the wrath of God that should have been placed on us, right? Like my name was written on the cross. I should have been up there on there. He was hung on the cross in place of me. And in doing so, he redeemed us from death and hell when our faith is put in him and we believe in that death as our own. Right? That's pretty good, accurate description of what the gospel is. But I'm going to tell you right there, that's half of the gospel. That's half of it. And I think even when we talk about being a Christian, we say words like, I'm saved. I'm saved. And it stops there. True, you're saved. And everything I just said, I believe is 100% true. But I think what Paul does here is he seals that first part of it. Jesus came, was born under the law, so that you who are under the law are no longer under the law, right? We're saved. And then he takes it a little bit further. Um, He takes it to, actually, let me back up and say one more thing about that. That part of it is legal. 1 John 1, 9 reminds us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In other words, if he didn't forgive us of our sins, then he would not be being just 
if we repent. Does that make sense? He's just in that. That is the legal place that we stand. Um, But I have better news for us, and Paul has better news for us. The reason that he became our substitute, as we look in 4-5, is this. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Say this really quick, just a side note. He refers to sons. We're at the end of this passage, he talks about sons and how we're heirs to the inheritance. It is an egalitarian culture. And so a female would not inherit anything, property, anything. It was only the males. Paul is actually pushing up against that egalitarian culture, some chauvinism in there, and he's including women and men as children of God. But he's using the phrase sons, not because he's a chauvinist, but because he lives in a chauvinist society. And this was kind of unheard of. If you don't believe me, this is not part of the notes here, but we're going to do this. Um, He goes back to, if we go back to 320... Seven, I believe. We'll, we'll go 326. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were, um, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. See that? He's pushing against this egalitarian culture, inclusive of women, even though he's using the word sons. Okay? We love men and women in this church. Just want to make sure you guys knew that. So um, the better news is that he has taken us, he has not just saved us and stopped there, but he has taken us further into his love by bringing us into his family in adoption. And the reason that Jesus died on the cross, the reason that Jesus came with wearing our skin incarnate was to make us part of God the Father's family. That is the reason. It is the highest elevated good news that God has to offer us. We are not just saved by him. We are brought into his family, adopted. So what does that mean exactly? Well, let's look at Zephaniah 3.17. In fact, don't even try to find it. It's a really small book, hard to find. I'm going to just read it. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save you. Listen to this. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. How awesome is that? How uncomfortable is that? God is singing over this scrub right here. He is exulting over me. He is passionate about his children. He didn't save you and think, man, I signed this covenant, now I have to commit to this slouch and just show them grace, and yeah, you can get into heaven. And and I think sometimes we have that thought of how God sees us. It's kind of this underlying annoyance. But man, he loves you. He feels passion at a level you cannot comprehend toward you. Like in the midst of your sin, he feels that toward you. He's passionate for you. 
Tim Keller puts it really well. He says, Jesus' salvation is not only like receiving a pardon and releasing and a release from death row in prison, then we'd be free, but on our own, left to make our own way in the world, thrown back on our own efforts if we're to make every, anything of ourselves. But in the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row and has hung around our necks the congressional medal of honor. We are received and welcomed as heroes as if we had accomplished extraordinary deeds. That is awesome. The gospel takes that which is different and it unifies it. And this is the highest level we see that take place. The Father has taken us unrighteous and he righteous and he has brought us together, unifying us, not just accepting us, not just saving us, but unifying us at a level of family. Family. This is the facts. This is present and past tense. This has been done if you are a child of God. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are not only saved. And the way that this can happen The only way that this can happen is if you possess the very righteousness that Jesus himself possesses. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that God the Father loves Jesus, his son? Like at a high level, maybe? Like a lot? That exact love, passion, is applied to you because you possess the very same righteousness that Jesus does. You have been awarded with the Congressional Medal of Honor around your neck, and your Father adores you. He loves you passionately, dancing, singing, celebrating you. That is the fact. Problem is, feelings don't always follow facts, right? What is true isn't always felt inside of us. I think a good example of that would be in our adoption. Jonah, he was uh, nine years old when he came. They don't really know how old he was, but nine, we guess, uh, when we brought him into our home. And he, so it's third world, so they don't celebrate birthdays. Mom said he's either, his mom's still alive, and she said he's either six or ten. I don't know. So we kind of went to the dentist and checked his teeth, and they said, I think he's about uh, nine years old. And so that's what we went with. And so anyway... Side note, um, didn't want to leave you hanging with not knowing the age of my son. Um, <clears throat> so he comes into our house. We have the legal documents stating that he is our son. He is adopted. He is in our family. He has our last name. He is a part of our family. But man, when he first got to our house, there were some really awkward moments. Like he felt, he felt if he had a question, like he would just kind of come up and stand next to me, you know? And I'm like, dude, you can talk it's okay and then he'd and then he'd talk and he'd ask me a question and, uh he slept with the lights on for because he was terrified because where he came from was not good he would overeat he'd stuff food in his mouth because he thought man i don't know if i'm gonna get another meal after this you know he he would uh lock all the doors he would go around our house before he went to bed and make sure every single door was locked and then he would try to lock his own door and, that, and I'm sitting there thinking, dude, like, it's okay. We will have, we're having breakfast. I promise you we're going to have lunch. I promise. 
you know, and he, and he wouldn't believe me. I'd have these conversations with him, and over time, in, in the last six months, I would say, I have seen him stop doing some of these things, and he is starting to believe what is on that legal document, that he is actually our son. He's, he sleeps with the light off now. He doesn't pack his mouth like a little chipmunk with food, and he, he just eats, and oh, I'll throw this away now. I'm done. He doesn't lock the doors. He tr- there's a trust that's being built. And unfortunately, he has no problem now when he has a problem with me and wants to share his issues. <laughs> he scrapped with his brothers. I was so excited to see that happen. It's like, man, you're part of the family now, dude. You're part of the crew. You just got a fist fight. That's what we do. And no, it's not that bad, but he'll get into it with them. And I love it because I know that he feels like he's one of us. He's one of them. He's starting to believe what's on the legal document. And here's the beautiful thing about this passage is that we see God the Father send his son to legally seal us into his family. And then after that, we see a line that's like a parallel from that, where God the Father sends the spirit of the son so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. So he's saying, objectively, you are mine, and I'm sending the spirit into your life so that you will prove that you're mine when you feel comfortable enough to cry out to God in a raw way. This is baby talk. Abba Father is a word that a little baby uses, daddy, papa, like with drool coming out of their mouth. And crying out, that word is filled with passion, it's filled with feeling. God, help me. Father, I need you. God, look what I did today. This is awesome. I, you walk into my house. That's what it sounds like. They don't call me God. They, I don't have that problem, unfortunately. Um, but they, the, constant talking. Dad, 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 dad. Look at this picture I drew you. Dad, dad. He hit me. Dad, look at this. I'm so proud of myself. I got an A. Dad, Silas is urinating in the bushes over there at the neighbor's house. Dad, constant. It never ends. I was... Sharice and I love music. We love music. But we have gotten to a place where we sit in the car and we just turn it off. We're just like in silence. Like, this is amazing. Like, I don't even want to. I hate music right now. Like, this is awesome. They come to us about everything. They come to me and it's raw and it's ugly and there's tears and there's, I'm sorry. And there's, Dad, look how awesome this is. It's just constant and it's so freaking informal. You know, I mean, that's what God is saying here. That's what Paul is encouraging them to do, that the Spirit is in you. You go to the Father. It's raw. If y'all heard some of my prayers during the adoption process, I might not be preaching up here. Like, I just came to the place where I was like, God, you know where I'm at, so I'll just say it. Here's where I'm at. And as I read the Psalms, I was like, man, David was pretty brutally honest too. You know, and God loves that. He receives that. He sent the Spirit so that we can have a raw, real relationship with our Heavenly Father as children that get dirty and get messy and don't say and do things right. And we go to Him and He loves it. He wants it to be that way. That's why He sent the Spirit to us. It is the subjective, the feelings part of our adoption. And it's awesome. The word crying out um, 
signifies the rawness. And what I love about this too is that the word Abba actually is an Aramaic word. And it's weird that Paul would even use this word because he speaks Greek and he probably doesn't even know Aramaic, most likely. But he uses this word and most theologians and scholars believe that he uses this word because this is the exact same phrase that Jesus cried out to God the Father with. So he is saying, when you cry out in this raw and real way, you're actually echoing and repeating the same words that his perfect son echoed out to him. Your prayers are received in the same way that the father received Jesus, his own begotten son's prayers. How amazing is that? That is so humbling to me. I was going through this this week and I I was reading through some of this and it just hit me like weight on my shoulders and I just, I'm in the living room. I'd gotten up before everybody else and I just (laughs) ugly cry just right there in the living room. Just I think so many of us don't grasp the concept, even begin to grasp how much the Father loves us, how much he desires to be in this relationship with us, how much he sings over us. And just hearing it and reading it, I just broke down crying. Sharice walks into the room and I'm all, hey, honey, how's it going? But I was, bro- I was absolutely broken by this. And I want to share another aspect of it that I think that we have to encourage ourselves to feel. And we do that by reminding ourselves of what's true, and that is we need to experience a God that doesn't disown us. He doesn't disown you. Your salvation is secure in him. He'd be a really, really bad father if he would disown you when you have a bad day. It says in the fullness of time, in verse 4, that's in reference to God being sovereign over everything in history, in the future, and this is part of his plan, and you are part of his plan. In the fullness of time, he set this whole thing up. In his sovereign power, he set this thing up. I have a son, my biological son, oldest, who is eight, Silas, very emotional, um, wears everything on his sleeves, like three houses down in our neighborhood. They know when he's upset. You know, and he is just a kid that doesn't hide feelings well. So he had done something. Um, Jeff Mills is like, yep, he's in my class. I know exactly what you're talking about. But he, uh, he, he's super emotional. He gets upset at me about something. And I said, Silas, just go to your room. And he's even madder now. And he's going, and I hear this like, bre- this noise, uh, shattering noise. What he did was, because he's sentimental and can be cheesy at times. He has a picture of Sharice and I on his dresser, my wife and I, and he got angry and he came in and he just <laughs> punched it and shattered the picture. And um, then he walks in to the kitchen where I'm sitting and he kind of looks over at me, makes sure I can see it, walks over to the trash can, <laughs> drops it in there, and then leaves. And I'm laughing, but trying not to show him that I'm laughing. Like, and, and, I'm just, and I'm like, man, I'm just going to give him a little space, a little time for a minute. And all of a sudden, I hear him just start, begin to sob in his room, like loud sobbing. So I go in there, and I'm like, Silas, 
you already got my attention. You don't have to cry. And he said, no, Dad. And he starts telling me, it's because I shattered the picture of you and Mom, and I'm the worst son in the world, and I don't think I should be in this family anymore. <laughs> and, and I said, dude, it's okay, man. I, I've done things. I know that you're, and he said, no, and I've thought some really bad things about you. And if you knew how bad they were, you would not let me stay in this family anymore. And I said, if you knew some of the thoughts I've thought about you sometimes, <laughs> you would not want to be in this family. So I, but I just said, Silas, listen, just stop. It, you, there is nothing that you can do that will put you outside of my family. Like, even if you want to, I'm not going to let you. You're not allowed to be outside of our family. Go ahead, call CPS. Try it. Every, anything you want, try it. It's not going to happen. Try me. I will not let you go. You cannot escape me because I'm your father and I'd be a terrible father if I let you get outside of my family. It's not going to happen. And I think that is the exact same way that the Lord sees us and I think there's evidence in it in John 27, 30. If you have your Bibles, turn there real quick. Did I say John 27? John 10, 27. I'm like, where's John 27? It's in the second Bible that I have. That's a joke. Okay. 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What a beautiful picture of an inescapable Father that we have. You cannot run from Him. And we need to be reminded of this. And we need to be reminded too, a lot of us have really just terrible dads sitting in this room. Some of us don't even know them. Some of us have actually good dads. I have a great dad. But you know what? Compared to the Heavenly Father, not even close to what he has to offer. Because he's unrighteous and God's righteous. And so it's so key for us to remember the last part of that verse that said, I and the Father are one. That when we want to see how Jesus feels, how the Father feels about us, we need to look at the way that he sees his son. So I want you to think for a minute of just the worst day you've ever had in your life, the most unfaithful, unrighteous, unholy day that you have ever had, or maybe just the most complacent, indifferent day you've ever had toward the Lord, or season. Almost embarrassing to think about for me. I have some days like that. And I want you to conjure that up in your mind and let it sit there for a minute. And then I want, to think, I want you to think about if, if on that day or in that season you said a prayer to the Lord, like, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. I've screwed up. It was just a fail of a season. Okay, that prayer right there is one to the Father that sounds as faithful as this prayer right here that took place in Luke 22 when Jesus is praying on the Mount of Olives right before he's crucified. 
And he says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God receives your unfaithful prayers, your flawed prayers in the same way that he receives the prayers of his own perfect son in his most faithful, painful moment of getting ready to go to the cross. That is the way that the Lord receives your prayers. That is the righteousness that he sees in his child when you come to him. And because of that, he can dance over you. He can sing over you. And if that doesn't do something in your heart, guys, I, I don't know. I mean, that should just blow you up. You have a perfect heavenly father who has unified just what the gospel does. It unifies that which is different. It has unified an unrighteous man, an unrighteous woman to a righteous God and unified it at the level of family so that you may cry out, Abba, Father. Which brings us to fruit of adoption. And at this point, the more, first of all, this is the solution to sin is understanding your family, understanding where you are. This is what brings you into a place of more holiness and a sanctification is going deeper and deeper in this experience and this understanding. But I'm just going to take a couple things that are a real natural thing that come from understanding more and more that you are in God's family and you've been adopted by him. And the first thing is physical adoption or orphan care. And I've been so grateful to see so much of that taking place in this church and in this body. Um, Jessica Attaway right now is in Haiti taking pictures of a family from our church that is adopting a little girl. I mean, it's just going on constantly. There's countless stories out here of people that I believe have recognized the gift of adoption in their own spiritual lives, and now they have set out to do it. And, and I'll just say this again. Adoption right now is trendy. There's some that are like, let me jump on this humanitarian bandwagon and do this, and then there's some that are totally indifferent to it. Both are not great. Now, I'm not saying, it's a good trend. Like, it's better than smoking cigarettes. But it's, it's not going to push you through the very difficult times. I think the proper motivation to adopt, the only proper motivation, is to go deep into understanding what the Lord has done in your own life and bringing you into his, into his family. And indifference is just a cluelessness of what God has done for you. I mean, the fact that you could sit there and think, man, I, and so I'm not sitting here saying every single person needs to have an orphan in their home or a, you know, I, I think everybody in this church that claims to know the Lord needs to have some sort of involvement in orphan care. We adopted in a community of people that gave a lot of money, that helped us with fundraisers, that um, helped us get to Africa, and it was the most beautiful thing we've ever experienced. And it came through community. It came through people knowing, yeah, this calls on my life. Even though Jonah's never going to live in my house, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step to do this. Um, and, and I promise you, there's plenty of opportunity here at the church to do that, to participate in some way. The second thing is that just becomes a real natural thing, I think, when we understand adoption, is uh, uh, our adoption is racial reconciliation. And I just love, I said in the first service, I loved when Valentine rolled into our home group of, um, I think I said empty nesters, but I'm going to say very young empty nesters. I got some slack for 
yeah, they thought I was calling them old, in our home group. They're not old, they're young, but they're empty nesters. And he rolled into our home group full of white people and talked about racial reconciliation. I thought, man, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like, that takes so much humility on his part. That takes so much um, bravery on his part to come in and just say, guys, God's adopted us, Jews and Gentiles alike. We're family. Let's put our differences aside. Let's put the silly racism aside, and let's love on each other a little bit. Uh, Just a great picture I've seen in our own home has been uh, our kids are, like, obsessed with Jonah's hair. You know, so they'll just be like watching a movie, like just rubbing, like your hair is so curly and awesome. And then Jonah's like, and your hair is so straight and soft. And, um, and it's just awesome. Like not one of them is thinking they're above the other. They're just family dwelling together, just loving the differences about each other. And I think that that's what picture that the Lord wants us to have is, man, there is so much beauty in other cultures and there's so much beauty in other races coming together. You learn a lot. Your world gets a whole lot bigger. And it's what heaven's going to be like forever, so you might as well get used to it. Uh, my son Noah wrote, like he refers to Jonah as like, you're, my, you're not my favorite brother, but uh, you're my favorite black brother. So just to clarify, because he didn't want to make his other brother feel bad. So <laughs> Silas started speaking Spanish to Jonah as soon as he got there. And Jonah was like, what is he saying? That was, <laughs> has nothing to do with this message at all. Okay. Um, And then I think the other thing that is real natural that comes from this is just an overall love and care toward those that are different than you, the more that you understand adoption. So different personalities, different wirings, um, all of a sudden you start to see that as beauty rather than something that is um, just grinding against you. I'm not going to lie, sometimes, I mean, there's people that grind against you, like, I promise. There's people that you would not want to be friends with in this room or spend a lot of time with. But what the gospel does is it takes away the thing that you would stand on called self-righteousness and says God's accepted you into his family and he's got a bunch of different personalities within this family and they're family. And so, man, you show up at that family reunion and you're like, there's old crazy Uncle Mike, but I'm still going to hang out with him. I still love him, you know? And that's just what it does because you're family. That's your identification is through that family, not through anything you stand on. It's not about you anymore. It's about God being glorified in community. Um, and then the last thing is that I'll throw out there is there's, like I said, a hundred other things that, that this idea of adoption will stir in us. But I think just a natural fruit that comes from it is humility and gratitude for everything. You know, that you, that you don't deserve anything and that the Lord has given you everything. Um, what can you stand on <laughs> as far as pride goes in that understanding? How can I not just be extremely grateful for anything good that happens in my life? So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And I, I'm so thankful for the fact that we've been adopted and we've been um, called into your family, Lord. And, and I just ask that those that are here that, um, Lord, I, I know there's probably some he- people here that are searching. And God, I'm so grateful that they chose to come hang out with us and be a part of this, Lord. But um, your, your gospel message is exclusive in that it comes through you alone, but it is also inclusive in that anybody who repents can become part of your family, can be joined in with you and be able to cry out to you as Daddy, Abba, Father, the creator of the world in an intimate relationship with his children. So we thank you for that, Lord. I just pray that you would stir in the hearts of people here, God, that it would move beyond fact and it would move into um, even feelings right now that they have toward you just to 
just a feeling that they can be raw, real, and honest with their loving Father, and He will never disown them. So we thank You for that, Lord. We thank You just that You're so kind in sending Your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.